this series, Kingdom DNA, that we started last week, let me just give you the overview of of where we're going. And we're going into Lent, which is the 40 days before Easter, very important time for our church. We have special prayer meetings during Lent, and we have, of course, Ash Wednesday this Wednesday. This Wednesday, we have early morning prayer here that's a short Ash Wednesday service, and there's a duplicate at noon So you have opportunity to slip away from work or before work uh, to be a part of that. But this is the idea that we're, we're talking about in this series. When you're born again, the Bible says you're born from above. You're a new creation. You've been adopted in the family of God. The spirit of Christ comes into you and the Bible says gives you a new heart. And you become therefore essentially a new person. How many in the room, that's good. How many in the room has been, would say that you become a new person in Christ? Let me see your hands up real quick. You become a new person in Christ. We call that being born again. It may happen as a young person. It may happen as an adult. We are transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. So if you're born again, i.e., The Spirit of Christ has redeemed your heart. You have no longer enmity with God. You're in the family of God. He's washed away your sin, delivered you from the devil. Would you agree with me it's reasonable to assume your life should look different post-salvation? Okay, how different? What's the gauge without without applying a legalistic framework? You know, like years ago, Christians couldn't have tattoos. Now you can hardly be a Christian (laughs) and not get a tattoo. You know, it's obviously not stuff like that, right? Well, Jesus says this, I'm announcing to you a kingdom. I'm the forerunner, forebearer of the kingdom. Those that follow me are going to be men and women of the kingdom. And they're going to have an ethical philosophy of life that's going to look upside down compared to the world. They're going to have divine power from not just human energy, but from divine sources. They're going to have a supernatural life in many ways. Then he goes on to say, now let me tell you what the values are of these folks. These are not a bunch, the the, the Beatitudes are not a bunch of imperatives. You need to do this, you need to do this. And they're often preached as imperatives. And people are guilted into the Beatitudes. Are you merciful? You know the Bible says you need to be merciful. They're not framed like that at all. That's Old Covenant. Old Covenant says do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not lie, do not, do not, do not, do not. The New Covenant says this, in Christ you are You are, you are, you are. You get a reward, a reward, a reward. Or are there prohibitions in the new covenant? Of course. But the Beatitudes are not framed that way. It says, blessed are you because you're already, you're this way. 
and this is your reward. Blessed are you because you're this way, and that's your reward. Eight Beatitudes, eight rewards. That's pretty awesome. It's upside down. It's not natural. These aren't like the qualities of nice people. You know, like nice people are closer to God than non-nice people. That's ridiculous. The Bible says we all have enmity with God. We're enemies of God down deep, 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 deep in our heart. We want to run our show. It's called sin. But when you're born again, your taste buds change. Your desires change. Now, you can cultivate that or you can allow it to atrophy. I want to cultivate these godly desires. The Sermon on the Mount, five chapter, three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We're in the second sermon of the series. It was probably going to take us three or four months. I decided we're just going to plow through this verse by verse. It's not a topical, ser- topical group of sermons. It's exegetical. It's line upon line out of the Sermon on the Mount. Y'all with me? If you have your Bibles, take them out. Otherwise, go ahead and follow along on the screen as I'm going to put them uh, probably under my beautiful face there. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. Hey, life can be tough. Hey, if life's going to be tough, you might as well be a Christian. Because we have a Savior who went through a pretty darn tough life to, to help us with our tough life. They shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek. That's not the weak, it's the meek. Strength under control. Meek, as, as I think of, of, a, of a, I think of, Jacob McLeese, strong, weightlifter. I would hate to get in a fight with you. Not, not, not because of what happened to me. <laughs> Let's be clear. These boots were made for walking, and that's just what they'll do. One of these days, these boots are going to walk all over you. Okay, $10, so who can tell me sing that song? Yeah, I knew you were worldly. Right there in the tip, you don't know any scriptures, but you know those songs. I knew the lyrics, I did. I knew all the lyrics too. I don't know any Christian songs, all the words. But you know, uh, Jake would be an example of, of a meek man, strong but kind you wouldn't want to mess with him, but he's gentle. Strength under control. That's meek. Meekness. This is blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they shall be satisfied. I took quite a bit of time last week to show you that the word for justice and the word for righteousness are the same word. So how do you know when Daisukane is translated righteousness and Daisukane is translated justice? It's the same word. How do you know which way it's translated? It's all context. It's all context. In this context, I think justice might fit a bit better because this is a beatitude describing born-again people that have the righteousness of God already. Now, it's not wrong to have the idea of pursuing right living 
but that's closer to justice. So I think it's helpful in our thinking that I hunger and I thirst for justice. I hunger and I thirst for things in this world to be made right. For the poor, the disenfranchised, the abused, the misused, help them, give them a hand up. That's what it's talking about here. I hunger and thirst to help people that are not being treated right. You know, he did the whole thing about the, the um, earthquake, right, in Turkey and in Syria. I think we were told this, this morning there's 40,000 that died. That's a lot. Well, you don't have to be a Christian to have mercy on Islamic families, do you? You don't have to be a Christian to have mercy on another nation that's experiencing a tragedy. Only the cynical would say, why would I want to give money to help those guys? We've got all kinds of needs here. I want to go, I just want to, I want to, I want to, I want Jacob to meet that person in a dark alley. Man, I just, that just irritates me. Like, what? It's just about me and mine and my tribe. Just my tribe, whatever my tribe is. It's just about us, nobody else. Oh, it's, the Bible says we hunger and thirst for justice for everybody. Blessed are the merciful. This is where I finished last week. For they shall receive mercy. Mercy imitates God the most. The Bible says God is rich in mercy. How many would agree with me we're thankful God is merciful? I'm not just thankful that he got me saved. I'm thankful every day of my life I do not get the consequences or the wages of my selfishness. Because even though I may look on the outside that I've got my act together, I can say some of the most selfish things. I, I no longer say the real hurtful things. I say the selfish things. And I can become impatient in a heartbeat. Well, that's, that's not being merciful. The Lord says he loves mercy. He loves giving mercy. You want to you act like God? Don't start with wanting to do miracles. Start with wanting to be a person who shows mercy. Amen. Let people off the hook. Amen. All right. Now, picking up where we left off. Quick review. You all with me? I think this is where we left off. You know, I, I preach this message four times, Melvin. Oh, I know people are watching me online. Saturday night, I preached all the Beatitudes. I got through all eight. Nine o'clock last week at Kempsville, I got through six. Here at Deep Creek, I got through four. At Kensville 11, I got through two Beatitudes. I'm starting this sermon all over the map. Each church, is, each campus is starting this sermon in a different place. Today I'm starting with blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I'm not talking about the simple-minded. I'm not talking about the naive. I'm talking about the heart without guile the heart without hidden motives, the heart that doesn't have hypocrisy, a heart that's uncompromising in wanting to please God, the revival at Asbury that's going on the last couple of weeks, purity of heart, humility, kindness, mercy are the hallmarks of this revival. This is something that God does to us when he comes into our heart. He takes out a heart of stone 
and he puts in a heart of flesh. And one of the characteristics of that heart of flesh is a purity. Hey, how many of you had a past before you got saved? Those of you that did not have a past, please remain seated. Wait, I got that backwards. For those of you that have a past, remain seated. There we go. All right, I have a past. I don't talk about it. I don't like talking about it. I don't even testify about it. It's, it's a long time ago. But you know what happens if, you, if you've been a worldly person? Listen to me if you're new here today. You're a worldly person. Maybe you cheated on your spouse. Maybe you've been, maybe let's take a good old King James word. You've been a whoremonger. Maybe you have had lack of integrity, done drugs. I don't care. You, put, you fill the blanket. You know that when you get saved, I mean really saved, not pseudo saved. I mean really saved. You confess your sins and put faith in a Savior. Do you know that God wipes that all out? The Bible says he remembers it no more. So you might say, is there anything God can't do? Yes, there's something God can't do. He cannot remember your sin again. As far as the east is from the west, your sin is removed. I tell you, when, you, when I got saved, I felt saved. I mean, I felt, I felt like I'm floating around. Melvin, you know what I'm talking about? You, 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 have, you have a past. Yeah, yeah. All the, all the drugs and the women, the crime, jail time, you know, running for the law, mafia, all that stuff. Hey, when you got saved, when you got saved, remember what it felt like to be pure again? Maybe you're a young woman today that technically shouldn't wear a white dress. You can wear a white dress. If you give your life to Christ, he can forgive you so thoroughly that you don't even remember the past with painful thoughts. You, still, the thoughts are there, but the pain is long gone because the Savior has redeemed your heart. Blessed are the pure. I'm not talking about a purity culture. Don't dance. Don't watch the Super Bowl halftime show, which is pretty raunchy again. It kind of goes with the territory. It's not a bunch of don'ts. Purity culture was saying, say no to drugs. That's a purity culture. The purity is talking about here. You notice it says pure where? Pure in action? Pure in heart? Something goes different in the heart. And the actions follow. When I met my wife, I was a junior in college. She was a freshman in college. And she went to the little Bible study I was leading at the time. And uh, she came a couple of weeks. And then uh, we, we started to date a little bit. And what attracted to me, her, she's, you know, my wife's gorgeous, but what attracted, got great legs too. What attracted me, seriously, I don't, if any guy says amen, you're out of here. You look at your own legs. Leave her out of it. You know, I was attracted to her. And, uh, but, it, but the physical attraction wasn't, didn't seal the deal. You know what sealed the deal? My wife was a pure woman. 
She was unsoiled by past relationships, unsoiled by doing stuff she shouldn't have done probably. There was an innocence, but there was a purity of heart. And I remember, guys, listen to me. You all know this to be true. You see a woman who's pure, there's something about her. Particularly when a woman who's pure of heart worships God, there's nothing more beautiful on the planet. Her physical body, you know, can, can look different from person to person, but the inward man that's pure and purely worship God's a beautiful thing. Blessed are the peacemakers. Not blessed are the peaceful. Blessed are people, as Christians, our job is to make peace between people uh, that have enmity uh, and people with God, there's enmity. Maybe cultures with each other. See, a multi-ethnic church, you know, new life, as you know, we're multi-ethnic. We have, we're 40% black, 40% white, 30% Hispanic, 20% Asian, 10% Filipino, and 4% uh, Antarctican. <laughs> now, you realize that didn't add up to 100%. I hope, I hope you got that was a joke. We're about 50-50. We have a lot of mixed marriages now, and, you know, and uh, children from experience. It's a beautiful sight here at the church. How, how do you do this? We're peacemakers. I don't take offense at everything is that's said. I don't demand my rights. I don't say what goes around comes around, baby. I give the benefit of the doubt. I'm on a journey with a bunch of other people that might misunderstand me and I want to pass. I need mercy. I'm going to give you some mercy. Let's make some peace here. We don't have to agree on every... Listen to me. Churches that agree on everything, particularly, you know, like we went through COVID, all the... COVID split the church more than anything I've ever known. People wanted to go to churches where everybody thought about masking and vaccination the same. We just kind of held the fort. Like, we're not... We're not going to be categorical and dogmatic about this. But people like to be in, or, in places where everybody thinks the same, acts the same, and is never challenged. The church, a multi-ethnic church like this, you're going to hear things from the pulpit that are going to rub you the wrong way. Oh, you've got a great opportunity to show mercy, a great opportunity to be a peacemaker, to be a person of love and give somebody a pass. I remember we did a multi-ethnic conference years ago. The room was full of half blacks, half whites, and Doug Merle did it. He did a really, really good job. Doug Merle's the black guy. He was our executive pastor for many years. Great guy. Did a great job teaching. And he says, are there any questions? And, and one of the white guys in the room said, I wish more black folk could be in something like this. And when he said black folk... There was a handful of African Americans that got upset. In the very class, we're learning to be patient with each other's journeys. And Doug masterfully said, this is the kind of discussion we need to have without offense. Where somebody might say, brother, let me give you another phrase beside black folk. And you could apply this to any ethnicity with any other ethnicity. We're peacemakers. Don't you want a church full of peacemakers? Families full of peacemakers. When your wife comes home, your husband comes home, you clap your hands because there's peace coming in the door. Somebody knows how to make peace in a contentious home.
Somebody's got to be first in the peacemaking business. You can't say, well, I'll make peace when she makes peace. Well, you're going to walk, you're going to have a cold shoulder till the cows come home. Somebody's got to step up. Blessed are the peacemakers. They're going to be called the sons of God. Wow. God made peace with us in Christ. When we make peace with our brother, we model reconciliation and therefore are rightly called the sons of God. Blessed are those who persecuted for righteousness sake. Again, for justice sake might be a, a good translation. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's saying this, when you're persecuted for doing right, you're going to taste a little bit of heaven. How in the heck does that work? It's with, when you walk in integrity, love your enemy, refuse to judge the person different than you, and you catch blowback from your family, from your tribe, from your church. But you know you did right. There's a little thing in your heart that just kind of jumps up, and that's the pleasure of God. He says, you did a good job, son. You taste a little bit of heaven how do you taste a little bit of heaven? When somebody persecutes you, don't return it in kind. You turn the other cheek, you watch the extra mile. You don't demand respect. There's a place to have respect, but demanding it in a relationship always is difficult. Guys, husbands, I'm married 44 years. Guys, listen to me. You can't say to your wife, I'm the head of the house, you're supposed to respect me. Once you start doing that, you've lost the battle. So act respectfully and let the respect come more naturally. Y'all with me? Ladies, you could say amen to that. I see some sharp elbows very carefully going... Verse 11, blessed are you, this is kind of a re repeat of verse 10. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you. You're blessed? You're blessed? You're blessed when you act like a Christian, like a disciple, when you act out what it means to be a follower of Christ and you, all kinds of evil against you falsely, you're falsely accused. And notice these next three words. On, Jesus saying what? On my account. On my account. Or for my sake. In other words, there's such a clear presentation of Christ that Christ is really what's being persecuted. Just as Saul on the road to Damascus, Jesus said to Saul, Saul, why, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Because Christ had so identified with the church that persecution of the church was a persecution of Christ. This is exactly what it's saying here. When we're persecuted for doing right. Now, listen to me. I don't mean like acting like an idiot. You know, you got 55 bumper stickers and you're the guy that lays on the horn every time somebody in front of you doesn't pull off fast enough in a green light. That doesn't count. Your bumper stickers don't count. Your lapel pins don't count. And listening to Caleb on the radio doesn't really count. What counts 
is when you get hassled and you're falsely accused and you don't rise up to defend yourself, you give it to God. And God says, I'll take care of you. You're blessed. Rejoice and be glad, it says. Your reward is great in heaven. You can advance that. Your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What a beautiful encouragement. So what's it saying? Same thing Second Timothy says. If you're going to live a godly life, you're going to suffer persecution. You're not doing anything wrong if you're feeling some heat. Keep living right, staying humble, asking forgiveness, being a peacemaker, being a person of prayer, a person that's, that turns the other cheek. Leave it up to God and he says, listen to me, there's a reward coming for you. If you defend yourself all the time, there's no reward. Nobody's going to say that to me. I'm going to fire back. All right, fire back, man. How about, let's all play the long game. Because if Jesus said he's going to give us a great reward, I think it's going to probably be pretty good. It's probably going to be worth, worth waiting for. All heaven applauds, you see, when you stay the course as a man or woman of God when you're under the heat. Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown and trampled under people's feet. You are the salt of the earth. What? It doesn't say the gospel is or Christ is. It says you and I, as disciples of Christ, we are the salt of the whole earth. There's not another, there's not another agent it's us. What does salt do? And, you know, we could talk about this in a whole sermon, but what's in view here is that salt is, pres just as salt preserved meat, fish, at the writing of the New Testament, it was like a refrigerator is today. It preserved food from decaying, from rotting. They used to pay Roman soldiers, not necessarily in denarii or in Roman coins. They sold, they gave uh, Roman soldiers salt that could be traded just like money. That's where you get the phrase, you're not, he wasn't worth his salt. Salt's where you get the word salary. It has to do with something very precious, something very valuable. At that time, it's the only way you could preserve your food. And it made very ordinary, stale stuff very, very nice to eat. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are very valuable to me. You're very valuable to the earth. Just as salt preserves the food, you as Christians are preserving your culture. You are slowing the decay of your society by living your life as a follower of Christ and not just going with the flow. It says we preserve the earth. Well, what do you do to preserve the earth? It's through our words our actions, our choices. That's why historically churches, Christians have started orphanages. Christians have started more hospitals than any other organization. I will tell you, when there is an, a tragedy in an Islam country like Turkey, 
Syria, Christian organizations rush in. It's not vice versa. <laughs> and I'm not throwing stones. It's just the Hindus aren't coming into America when there's an earthquake. Now, I'm not saying Hindus, I'm, I'm, I'm not making it like I'm you know, throwing dispersions. What I'm simply saying, Christians have done good works on massive scales. They started schools. Christians were behind emancipation. Christians were behind women suffrage. Christians were behind stopping uh, child labor. Christians are behind every major move the, in, 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 in the world. Is, at some place, there's been a Christian impetus. Why? Because Christians have been salt in the earth. Christians are counterculture. I'll help you, and I'm not going to check your sexual identity. I'm going to help you and not check your ethnicity. I'm going to help you and not check if you're a Gen Zer or a boomer, if you have dementia or not. You're in the womb or you're dying on an old man's bed. I'm part of the salt of the earth to represent God, his kingdom on the planet. I'm counterculture. Goes on to say, you are the light of the world. There's the second metaphor. We're a light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Light. Jesus said twice, I am the light. The Bible says that God's word is light. The Bible says that we're children of light. Light, revelation, truth gives guidance, shows us the way to live. The Bible says the light shines in darkness and the darkness can't overcome it. When, you, when you're living for Christ and you're light for Christ, that light penetrates dark places. One act of kindness, sharing your testimony in, in the appropriate way, a prayer, an act of goodness is a light in a dark place. And when people see the light, the first response is always great joy. When you're in darkness, hey, if you're blind and the Lord touches your eyes and you see light for the first time, how do you think you're going to respond? <laughs> joy. Do you think joy would be a fair word? Oh, I think so. People are in darkness in the world and God says to us today, Listen, you're the light that's going to dispel their darkness. Don't be waiting for somebody else. He says, somebody needs a hand up, and it's you. Somebody's trapped in some kind of philosophy of life that's destructive. You're the light to them as I shine through you. And it says here, when we're a light in the world, we're a city set on a hill. So we're an individual light. And we're, and we're like a city, which is descriptive here of a church. A church is set on a hill where people love themselves. The spirit of Christ is present. The Holy Ghost is welcome. The worship is authentic. The character is humble. People coming together in love. The Bible says that's like a city set on a hill. And that is attractive in the city. I read recently where there was a church in a town in Israel, one of the larger towns, 
and there was an evangelical church. I don't know how they built it, but they got property and they built. And next to the evangelical church, there was an a Orthodox Jewish synagogue. You know, Jews and Christians historically have not got along. Recently, it's been better. Historically, there's been great enmity. The rabbi from the synagogue had been taught his whole life to hate Christians. And he had a goal to get that church out of his community. After a couple failed attempts, he met with the pastor and he said, I just can't do this anymore trying to get you out of our community. He says, I don't agree with you as a church or what you believe. He said, but I can't deny the people you feed, the people you clothe, the immigrants that you take in, the good work that you do. That church was a city set on a hill. If you would leave your cul-de-sac, your family sold the house and moved away, would anybody in the cul-de-sac mourn your leaving? Going, man, that was a good family. Or do we hold ourselves up because we're shy or whatever the case might be? And I'm not saying you all have to be extroverts. I'm saying we have... Jesus, you're a light, man. The light loses its effectiveness if you put it in a bushel basket. Let it shine. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to the whole house. We're going to finish with this thought today. It gives light to the whole house. A little, a little lamp. You know, my dad was raised in a house that never had electricity. Never had indoor plumbing. My dad. I said, well, Dad, how did you, how'd you do homework and stuff? And Dad said, well, we had a lamp, kerosene lamp. With the time of the New Testament, there were just little oil lamps like this, and I could light a whole house with it. What's Jesus implying here? He's saying, all right, listen to me. Be a light in your own home first. And be a light in your community and there be a light with your church. Do it in your home. Do it in your job. And do it in your church. And then he says at the end, let your light therefore shine before others in such a way, verse 16, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Give glory to your Father who is in heaven. New Life Deep Creek, I'm going to ask us to be a church set on a hill that's a light in Deep Creek and beyond that has a reputation of great love and mercy, has a reputation that we help the poor, the disenfranchised, the unemployed has a reputation of a church that passionately worships and loves Christ that embodies the truth of the gospel we don't play political games we don't divide over things in our church we keep Christ lifted up and his light shining through us to a dying community 
You're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. Let's stand to our feet, shall we? As we close today, and I, I do need to be leaving, but this is a call to mission today. Jesus says, you're the salt, you're the light, there's nobody else, it's you, it's me. You might say, well, Dan, I'm not educated. Dan, I'm a new Christian. Dan, I'm a backslidden Christian. Dan, I'm too old. I don't know what you're going to say to me. But the Lord would say, he qualifies you. Is Christ alive in your heart? That's where it starts. And then we're on mission. Wherever we go, we represent God. We're the light of the world. Wherever we go, we're salt that prevents the decay of the place we go to. And the Lord says, your reward in heaven's great. Well, I hope that you enjoyed our sermon today. I hope that you were inspired and challenged. And maybe you have a question about something that you heard in the message today, or maybe you need prayer. We would love to take the time to pray with you and answer any questions that you might have. All you need to do is simply send us an email to online at newlife.global and we would love to connect with you. Well, be sure to subscribe to our channel. You should see the link right over here somewhere and turn those notifications on. That way you are notified every single time we go live on YouTube. Well, God bless you. Have a wonderful week and we'll see you on the next video. Take care.